folks, my name is Desiree, and I am one of your three hosts for today. Our lineup today opens with the history of the Bronx as told by Angel Hernandez, director of programs at the Bronx County Historical Society. Marlene joins me on that adventure. We then chat with my neighbor and co-host John about the Community Board 2 meeting that happened last week and the importance of community voices. Finally, we round out the show with our bulletin and a loaf of fresh bread. Radio Free South Bronx. My name is Desiree Drake Frias. I'm a native Bronxite and local activist. I'm here with Angel Hernandez, Director of Programs and External Relations at the Bronx County Historical Society. Welcome, Angel. Thank you for having me. And I'm also here with one of our co-hosts, Marlene Cintron, President of BOADC, and my mom. So welcome, mom. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Good to see you. We're part of the Radio Free Network with Radio Free Bay Ridge, and we're hoping to cover the Bronx generally, but also putting a political focus on the South Bronx. I feel that we don't have enough news sources, especially now with DNA Info and Gothamist being shut down. There's just not enough people covering the news in the South Bronx. We continue to stay ad-free and advertiser-free so that we can talk about anyone and everyone, and no one is safe. This is a hyper-local show, and what we want to do is not just talk about everybody, but to highlight the South Bronx. Businesses, the people, the community, provide a perspective by and for the people of the Bronx. If you live in Bay Ridge or if you live in Manhattan, we welcome you and we invite you via this medium to get to understand us a little bit better and appreciate us. And so I am personally delighted to be participating. We have a lot to brag about. And so we should start by introducing our uh, most esteemed and revered guest who has quite a story to tell. It's an old story that will then become a new story to the rest of the listeners. Take it away, Angel. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me here, uh, having me on your show, on your inaugural episode. I know, our first guest. Right, right. This is uh, (laughs) very exciting. (laughs) I'm so honored to uh, be your first voice. So uh, my name is Angel Hernandez. I am the program director for the Bronx County Historical Society. And what it means to be a program director is to introduce our school educational programming to institutions throughout the city. We like the liaison for everything we do. I'm also the face, if you may, of the Historical Society. I attend all the social events and I do all the social media, along with one of my colleagues. Her name is Vivian Davis. And it allows us, not only as uh, history geeks, to be thrilled and excited about what we do, but it gives us an opportunity to work in our backyard, you know, the Bronx. So one of the questions I get, travel to many places, where are you from? Well, New York City. Oh, yeah, New York City. Everyone knows where New York is. It's, I, I love it. Where in New York? Brooklyn? No, I live in a place called the Bronx. And they're like, what? Where? The Bronx. <laughs> What's a Bronx? Well, it's one of the boroughs of New York City. And the Bronx is this special place where you can still feel that, you know, the last bastion of New York City, you know, as we see the other boroughs change. The Bronx still has that feeling. So I'll tell them, yeah, I'm from the Bronx. And they're like, well, what is that? And that's when the whole story starts. Before I go into the history, it's always useful to make some definitions. The Bronx, the word the, it means that the Bronx is named after the Bronx River. The Bronx River was named after a gentleman named Jonas Bronk. And we'll get into that in a second. But the reason why it was named after the Bronx River in the 1890s when all five boroughs were being consolidated, uh, those in City Hall had no idea what to call the Bronx. 
So for many years, the Bronx was the annexed district, the Northern Borough, the 23rd, 24th Ward, right? I'm glad we changed that. Right, right. <laughs> Even though I like Ward, the 23rd, if I ever had Sounds some like type of movie, but yeah. I, if I had like a movie company, I will call it the 24th Ward. But that's just me. That's just me. <laughs> so I explained, well, they named this city after its most prominent land feature. If you look at the map of the Bronx, you'll see the Bronx River runs almost right through it. So they called it the Borough of the Bronx River. And that's why we call ourselves the Bronx. And as we were talking about earlier, this is one of the least places in the world that has the word the in front of it. The Hague, the Vatican, you have the Bronx, right? That's so, my mom's favorite line. Good. She just pulls that out whenever <laughs> anyone trash talks the Bronx. Anytime I can. <laughs> I just not throw it I say it on my tours. People yeah. love it. To compare it to the to the Hagen yeah. and the Vatican, not so bad. <laughs> it's not bad at all. Let me do a few quick facts about the Bronx. Yeah. So for people who have never seen it on a map or been there, we have 42 square miles, mm-hmm. a population of 1.4 million as of 2016. 1.45 now that's the most recent okay the census was in 2016 okay 1.45 i apparently didn't go to enough decimal places to make my mom happy (laughs) only borough attached to the mainland when godzilla comes crashing through manhattan like we're good up here that's another reason to live in them according to the census bureau the bronx is the most diverse area in the country with an 89.7 percent chance that any two residents chosen at random would be of a different race or ethnicity. And a quarter of our land is parkland, including the largest park in New York City, Pelham Bay Park, which includes Orchard Beach. So, you know, suck it, Manhattan. We got a beach, which you don't have. And it was it was funded or by a woman. So certainly women have been leading the charge and and lots of different things. And so I just had to add that. Yeah, and it was a man-made beach. This lady just said, I want a beach. In the Bronx. (laughs) In the Bronx. And she literally brought in all this sand right and made a beach which is just you know women getting it done since 19 whatever and it's been renamed puerto rican riviera the 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 riviera of of new york city they combined two islands hunter island and robin's neck hunter island and they brought sand from far away Mm. so we got brooklyn sand that sand connected these two these two islands and created Orchard Beach. That's fascinating. Uh, Pelham Bay. How do you is... just like? No, 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 no. That's not my point. My point is the audacity of just saying, "Yeah, let's put a beach here." Well, well it's women are audacious on so occasion. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Bronx in the 40s and 50s, and even in the 30s, was a playground for development. Yeah. You know, people have to understand that the Bronx was highly underdeveloped for many years. Well, in the 1800s, it was farmland. It, it was just farmland. Potato land? Right. What was it? It, it, it yeah, was so, pretty much farmland. Yeah. It was rolling hills and whatnot. You know, in that time of development, you know, there, it was just so much to do, so much to build. You didn't have much of these ordinances. You, you didn't know, need to get community you, board approval. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. All you needed to do was how much you want for this piece of land. Okay. How much go. dirt do we need? Right. Well, for dirt. example, so you mentioned the parks, right? Yes. Uh, almost 25% of our land mass is parkland. Amazing. Unlike Manhattan, Central Park. Yeah. Central Park, people were displaced. Neighborhoods mm. were demolished. You had a Seneca village there. You had a small African-American village, uh, a village there. And it was just disseminated, wiped out to create Central Park. Park. Whereas in the Bronx, 
no one was displaced. It was all open land. So what the Parks Department did, they brought some land and, you know, and some of it was eminent domain and they just implanted parameters. That's it. There was no heavy landscaping. There was no bulldozing. So if you walk out to Pelham Bay Park, a lot of that landscape is natural. It and it's beautiful. It dates back before the park was incorporated. Added to that historical perspective, the golf course yeah. at Van Cortlandt Park is it's the, the very, very first. first in the nation. So the it's the oldest yes. municipal golf course yes. in the nation. Yep. Take that, guys. Yeah. And also, Van Cortlandt Park in general is the third largest park. In New York City. So we have the two largest parks in the whole metropolitan area. And we welcome you, all listeners, to come out to our parks and enjoy them. There's powwows in the summers at, at Palom Bay Park. There's Oh, it's magical. In and the during in the, the month of August, we have salsa at Orchard Beach. Just in August, Mom, we have salsa. Like, oh, we yeah. <laughs> okay. At Orchard but, Beach? But, but we have, have, yeah, we do have salsa the all the time, but we actually have live bands yes. during the month of August. And, and they're free. free. So, you know. Bring a blanket. And some yeah. suntan lotion. And and just hang out. Just that's hang Yeah, out. I mean, that's just a quintessential <laughs> Bronx Saturday at Orchard Beach. I just remember going so many times with mom, eating empanadas and just sliding down a too hot. Oh my God. <laughs> you <laughs> had to pour water down. Yeah, it was I a metal slide. You Coca-Cola we bottle full of water. You just burned your back. Yeah. And yeah. I guess by the 90s, we figured out you could pour some water on the metal slide <laughs> yeah, yeah. and not burn like the first layer our, of your our skin pastime. off. Let's go right. back to... The 1600s. Yes, yes. Let's talk about Jonas Bronk. He was Swedish born. He immigrated to what was then known as New Amsterdam. There was no New York yet. And it was in 1639. And his farm was called Eminus. And it was on the corner of 132nd and Willis Avenue, which is like the best thing I've ever heard. Like if you go there now, please well, uh, someone Google Maps Let me shed right some uh, perspective. Uh, Jonas Bronk was this gentleman. Yes, he was born in Sweden. And he came to the Bronx in 1639. He was a merchant. He came with his wife, Tiontai. He arrived here not alone. He had indentured servants. Uh, these people were from other parts of the Netherlands. So the people that arrived on his farm, they were pretty diverse. They were pretty diverse. There were different languages spoken. When he came to the Bronx, this was obviously, it was wilderness. Uh, we had Native Americans still living here. Yeah, the Lenape. You had the Lenape. Lenape uh, you had others uh, speaking the, the Sibonoi tongue, living along the eastern part of the borough. Then you had the Wegwiskeeks. Now, the Wegwiskeeks were the tribe that Jonas Bronk interacted with. So at, at Morris High School, there's this painting of Jonas Bronk, and it was inspired by a peace treaty that took place in his house in 1642. The Wegwiskeeks, they're sitting on the floor, and then you see the Dutchmen, they're standing. You know, so this is giving you an idea. Oh, subjugation. Thing. Right, oh, exactly. Yeah. No, it's so, it's so troublesome. I right, mean, right. we so, are living on displaced land. This was their land. They called the Bronx Renanchqua, and the river, they called it the Aquahung right. River. And Renanchqua means land where two bodies of water meet. They were talking about the South Bronx. They were talking about the East River connecting with the Bronx River. Jonas Bronx Farm roughly in the area of 132nd Street in Lincoln Avenue. Jonas Bronk, he was a very intelligent man. He knew uh, more than three languages. He had one of the largest personal libraries in the colony of New Amsterdam. Mm. So he, people knew who he was. Uh, unfortunately, just after four years, he dies mysteriously. No one really knows if he died naturally or he was killed, whatnot. His wife married on 
and she helped found the city of Albany. So for many years, Bronx Land was unoccupied. So in the 1670s, you had these two gentlemen, brothers, and they were called Lewis and Richard Morris. And they came from the island of Barbados. With them, they brought their whole retinue of slaves. And this is the very first time the Bronx, as, as we call it, saw its African-American slavery legacy here. And in doing my research, I found a lot of these little, you know, these little ties. You don't even think about it. I went to school in the Kingsbridge area four years of when I was at Bronx Science, and I never knew it was called Kingsbridge because in 1693, the king built a bridge yeah. to connect right. the Broadway in Manhattan to the Bronx. Right, yes. And there was like a toll, like you had to pay a toll on both sides. The internet says that it was kind of sketched. Farmers would just charge right, you money. Right. When so you that's the next the bridge. phase, right, in Bronx history. Because after, well, as we all know, 1664, New York City was conquered by the English. And they renamed it New York after the Duke of York. And so you saw this new demographic of English living in the borough. So there was a person named uh, Frederick Flipson. And he erected this bridge. And he named it the King's Bridge, I believe William III, or one of these yeah. kings. And this bridge was important because it was the only land connection between Manhattan Island and the rest of the world. As we all know, the Bronx is the only one naturally on the mainland. Right? The other places <laughs> yeah. on island. Right. Except except Marble Hill. Marble Hill is part of Manhattan. Oh, that's another that story that, that we the must address. We, <laughs> right. Yeah, we gotta, we yes. gotta do So that's a piece that. of Manhattan on the mainland. But anyway, and we, try, we that. address that every year. Every year. Yeah, every year. On what date? On, well, this year it's going to be hopefully May 19th or May 20th. Okay, yes. so we got to do an episode we'll just about Marble oh, yes. Hill. It's an official I gotta go. I got to go. Yes. I have to yes. record. It's required. For the, yeah. I know that you it's guys... It's not quite South Bronx, but certainly... There were ramifications right. to the South Bronx. Absolutely. I know that <laughs> I know that listeners, you might have no idea what we're talking about, and we're just not even going to get into it. But basically, there's this whole there's a bit of Manhattan yes. that is you know that it belongs to the Bronx, and people right. in the Bronx go to Manhattan and conquer <laughs> it, and like come with flags and they're dressed tiny clothes. They go drinking afterwards, before and yeah. afterwards. Marble Hill. <laughs> just real quickly, just take a step further back. The Bronx is part of New York County until 1914, when it achieves its own county status. So one of the places that was up for debate was Marble Hill. So when the Bronx became a county in 1914, Marble Hill was still a part of the Bronx, but it's Manhattan, right? Yeah. So every year we go out, a bunch of guys, historians, and we conquer Marble Hill. Now, it's the nerdiest reenactment of Not only time. the nerdiest, but it's not, it's, it's not impromptu, Okay. This was done back in 1939. We had a borough president. His name was James Lyons. And one day in April 1938, he brought his driver. They drove up to Marble Hill with the Bronx, an American flag, and they claimed it part of the Bronx. So what we're doing, we're just reenacting this historic event and bringing to light every year this mess. There is, there is, a, bone, <laughs> there is a bone of contention. Right. Um, and in the last state of the borough uh, last year, uh, <laughs> yes. the borough president brought the issue up again. It just so happened that in the audience... Was the Manhattan. Uh, our, yes. our very esteemed, <laughs> extremely respected, yes. much loved uh, Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer was in the audience, and somebody must have tipped her off yeah. that it was going to be discussed at this. And so when the Borough President uh, got his line in, uh, she got up and 
just whipped out from her pocketbook uh, the Manhattan flag yeah. and, and waved it in the air. <laughs> so somewhere along the line, see who will yeah. get the last laugh. But it's a great event. Uh, I will borrow President Ruben Diaz. He's a big fan of it. He's a fan of history and action. You know, he likes to see things, likes pe uh, seeing people engage, Bronxites engage in their, in the borough's legacy. So. We do that well. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll definitely be joining you this year and I'll bring my microphone to record. Yeah. So and, and bring some fun. type of like, you know, No, we're going to dress helmet. up. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm, yeah. You think I'm not going to cosplay at a reenactment? Last no. time we wore tuxedos and, you know, and, uh, the time before, I think I dressed as Che Guevara. Just let me know what the plan is this year, and I will definitely come prepared. All right, so we're now at, we did the 1600s. You know, by the early 1700s, like you said, Dutch and British families had joined the area. And yeah, now we're going into the 1800s, because right. we did we did the Revolutionary War, right? During the English period, uh, what happened in other parts of the colony? You have colonists up in arms, complaining about what was happening how these colonists were being taxed for wars that the English were having with the English, Spanish, whatnot. It happened in the Bronx. You had colonists here. They were up in arms. They were upset. You had people like Lewis Morris, you know, the brothers. They were up in arms. They became part of the Continental Congress. So uh, although the Bronx didn't see a lot of action, it was pretty much under the British during the American Revolution. But you had George Washington serving in the Bronx. He slept at the Van Cortlandt Mansion, which is still standing today. This is where he commanded his army uh, in 1775. Across the street from us on Bainbridge Avenue, we have the Museum of Bronx History, which is at the old Valentine Varian House. And this is where the Comte de Rochambeau commanded his French army when they were encamped here in the Marshalou section of the Bronx. So you have a lot of legacy here. Aaron Burr fought here in the Bronx. Really? He, he burnt down the blockhouse, the Lancey's blockhouse that was located right off of Boston Road. Uh, you had the Boston Post Road running through the Bronx. This was America's very first highway. This road saw John Adams, George Washington, Paul Revere, right, on his night ride. So you have all this American revolutionary history. In the Bronx. In the Bronx. Amazing. One of the major battles. And it actually helped Washington a couple of times was the mm -hmm. battle at Pell's Point, which mm -hmm. is now Pelham Bay. Pelham mm -hmm. Bay Park near the Gulf. Of course. Right. Right. So the British came, 8,000 British, and they were held back by only 400 American militiamen and colonists. Mm -hmm. and, and That's because they were from the Bronx. They were right. 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 Before they invaded <laughs> there, just a couple of days before that, they invaded the town of Westchester and they were held back as well. No one knows right. this. However, if you like White Castle and you're on East Tremont, right off of Westchester Square, right before you walk into the parking lot, there's a small milestone, a historic marker. I've seen it. Yeah. And it says on October 12th, 1776, 8,000 British or whatever number came to invade the Bronx. Right. Although we we Great can't history. claim we can't claim any major battles, but we could claim smaller diversionary battles that actually helped Washington and the Continental Army maneuver in what we now call the Bronx. You know, I find it so perplexing that um, there's, there's an old saying: George Washington slept here, and here you are stating that he also slept in the Bronx. So I can't help but wonder. <laughs> 
when did he have any time to do anything when he spent so much time sleeping, sleeping around? Uh, sleeping around, that's the best way to put it. I, I, I lived in the historical Are district. you seriously digging up bochincha about George Washington well, right ha- now? Listen, you know, we, we, we got to call it as we see it. You know? just like low-key, you know, calling but, Martha, you know, like, hey, Martha. I, I, yeah, I, li- I lived on, our, on Alexander Avenue in the historical right. district uh, when I was in my 20s. And I had heard that where the library is, mm-hmm. that he also slept in that area really so i i, I need it. some i need some more research i wouldn't done. doubt it i mean you know it's it's that would be up for debate because on 100 what is now 149th street the third avenue the hub yeah. area yeah that was a tory refugee camp and mm. tory ah. means british yes. uh you're on the british side right so all these people that were being displaced or leaving their houses because of war and this is like 141st street right so it was too close for right so i'm not Got sure it. if washington would sleep in that area but he did sleep in the Van Cortlandt Mansion. Okay. In fact, the night before evacuation day, he marched from Van Cortlandt Mansion and he took Broadway, where Broadway is today that leads you into Manhattan. He took that same route. We also have remnants of the American Revolution. Not only we have the Boston Post, we have the two historic houses, the Van Cortlandt and the, the Valentine Varian House, but we also have Gun Hill Road. Gun Hill dates back to the American Revolution. So when the when the Continental Congress thought that the English were going to invade the Bronx, they thought British were going to take the Harlem River mm-hmm. to kind of cut the colony in half because this is what they did, mm-hmm. divide and conquer, right? So the Second Continental Congress sent to have forts built around the King's Bridge. So this mm-hmm. is why behind Eamon College you have Fort Number yes. 4, Bronx Community College was Fort Number 8, and this was to protect the Harlem River and to keep the British from splitting the colony. But instead, they waited a whole year, the British, and they invaded through Drog's Neck. And they actually landed roughly where Marina del Rey is. Mm -hmm. That was their landing spot to invade the Bronx. Mm. So that whole time frame, people were waiting for this British invasion. You had cannon that was brought from Battery Park, and they were perched on a hill, which is now where Woodlawn Cemetery. And people walking by, they would comment and they would remark the hill as the Cannon Hill. And later on, it became the Gun Hill. So mm. the Gun Hill Road, the name Gun Hill, was a, a nickname given by the people, the locals living in the area. But there weren't any major Oh, battles. look at that gun. <laughs> but it just gives you an example. <laughs> it just gives you an example how involved locals are. In Bronx history. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. So if you go out to Woodlawn today, near Decatur Avenue... Inside the cemetery, there's a boulder, and on that boulder, there's a plaque, and it talks about this was the summit of the the Gun Hill, and this is where, you know, the story ensues about the American Revolution in the Bronx. I put the Bronx on the map with the American Revolution, and people are like, wow, you know... That's exciting. That's next, exciting. Yeah, next time I, uh, you know, go shopping in the hub and I'm like at Denise, you know, picking up, <laughs> picking up the, some $6 pants. Think, think of the Tories. I'll think of the, you know, the, the smelly, right, unwashed, right. just blood. But Washington. So lots of legacy, lots of legacy. And to end this, after the war, right, the United States needed a new nation. Philadelphia was sacked by the British. That was one of the capitals. New York City was destroyed and it was taken mm-hmm. over by the British. So they were looking for other sections, other places in the, you know, in the colonies to build the new nation's capital. Mm-hmm. So here comes Lewis Morris, Lord Again. of Morrisania. That guy keeps on right? showing up. Morrisania. And he... <laughs> this, this 
whole podcast is just going to be me realizing why things right. are called what they are. Yeah, right. We're going to have to start calling it Morris Mania. Morris yeah. Mania, right? <laughs> so he emerges and he proposes his family land, his, mm-hmm. you know, his, his holdings homestead to be the new nation's capital. He saw not only some prosperity, but he wanted his own property to be fixed by federal dollars, right? Well, who doesn't want their own property exactly. to be fixed by federal dollars? Madison that is, to the Madison. That hasn't right. right. Capitalism at its I'm best. I'm with you, Morris. Morris. But Madison and Hamilton, they had other plans, and they chose this swampy city south of the Dixie Line, Then that was and what's to... They become Washington, D.C. Yes. But if Lewis Morris got his way, we would have had the White House in the South Bronx. Well, I guess based on who's currently in the White House, I'm glad we don't have the White House in the South Bronx because I wouldn't I wouldn't get anything done. I just... Yeah. Well, you, you'd be protesting all the time. Delighted because that way the Bronx can continue to be the Bronx. We can continue <laughs> yes. to be in the forefront of our uniqueness and all of the yes. things that make us... Yeah. So special and all of the things that we have created that really have impacted uh, globally. We've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. And certainly... We're in the 1800s. Well, let's let's rewind because the mid-19th century, that's when the Bronx transformed. All right. And in my opinion, that's one of the most important sections in Bronx history. And that's one of the sections that I have no notes on. So take it away, Angel. I literally so, jumped, from, right. I jumped from 1693 to 1895. I'm a historian. You can't rush us. We got to get it all in. Get it all in, all right? What I'm doing, though, I, there's a lot of truncating, you know, and there's a lot of uh, condensing. I, I highlight the the pivotal points, yeah. you know. Independence is achieved by the Americans, Ooh, right? And we're getting our, our act together in the Bronx, in New York City, right? You have landowners, right? So things are falling into place. By the 1830s and 40s, you saw immigrants coming into the borough. And the largest, and today one of the largest immigrant movements in the borough were the Irish. Uh, the Irish uh, uh, immigrated uh, from Ireland during a, a potato famine. And there was other issues going on. And this is when you saw a lot of Irish moving into the borough. Why this is important? Because they were the ones that built what some of the important infrastructures, important institutions that are still standing today. Fordham University. They built the High Bridge. They built the Croton Aqueduct. That yes. brought uh, clean water from the Croton River uh, through a pipe, an underground pipe, running down Westchester County over the High Bridge and into Manhattan. It was the very first of its kind in the country. Yes. Oldest bridge still standing in New York City. And the Irish built these institutions for less than a dollar a day. They were going through a lot of labor union issues. They were dying. They were discriminated against. A lot of discrimination because there were for people who don't know, there were literally signs at at places that say, you know, hiring for a new cook, no Irish, or Irish need not apply. Right. They helped transform the society of the Bronx from an agricultural to an industrial one. Exactly. So then you have the advent of the locomotive. You had the very first train station on the mainland. And that stop is still there. It's on Fordham Road, right outside of Fordham University. It's that Fordham stop on the Metro North. That is the very first stop on the mainland. 
By the way, pro tip, if you want to go to the Bronx Botanical, you can just ride the Metro North there. And right. it's like, it right. leaves you right outside well, the door. Well, the one I'm referring to, it's on Florida Road. Yeah. That's the very first stop on the mainland. Gotcha. And this is when the Bronx, that part of the Bronx, started growing out of this village of Fordham. Right? Yeah, it's, it started to shift the focus from a rural to right. a suburban. So you had these factories being built. You had the Mott Haven Foundry in the South Bronx. Yes, and actually, um, so we could talk a little bit about Jordan Mott. He was an inventor, right. and he established Mott Haven to house the workers at his ironworks. Absolutely. So that's where the word Mott, Mott Haven. Haven. Jordan L. Mott, he was one of those prospectors. I land in the new world, and he approached Gouverneur Morris II, the last aristocrat of the Bronx, and he brought this little piece of the southwest Bronx, and he named it Mott Haven. And this is the very first industrial village in the Bronx. So Gouverneur Morris, the last aristocrat, kept one small piece for himself, and he named it Port Morris. It was supposed to be a deep water village to rival mm-hmm. those down in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was uh, also in the railroad business. He was the president of the Central Avenue line, mm-hmm. uh, which is, well, the Central Railroad, which is still It still runs. It, it runs still today, runs right? Through the South Bronx. Right. And mostly it runs at night. And um, it's used to bring in <laughs> alcoholic oh. Anything. Products um, <laughs> to our distribution center. Yes. So certainly um, it still provides a it really important provides, function. Right? And, the, and then the central <laughs> line, it's still, it's now the Metro North on the Harlem line. Yes. Right? And so we have these factories and these, you know, so now lots of people are getting jobs. Actually, by 1919, the Bronx was the U.S. hub for piano manufacturing. Well, we had yes. 63 piano factor, factories employing more than 5,000 workers. Three piano factories. That's a lot of piano factories. The ushering of factories with the Irish. You also had the Germans who brought their beer breweries. Mm -hmm. That legacy in the 1870s. And the Italians. The Italians in the 1890s. They they pretty much built the botanical gardens in the Bronx Zoo. By this time, you know, after the turn of the 20th century, you saw places like the Bronx becoming these worldwide destinations. That legacy by the 1930s and 40s kind of like dissipated. You also have Beethoven pianos, and I believe they're still operating. They're inside the old Mont Haven Foundry building, which is right under the Third Avenue Bridge. But what's interesting is if you walk around the building, you can still see the words J.L. Mott Foundry. It's still one of the oldest, oldest buildings still standing in the Bronx. And then on the brewery side, you have right across the street, a building that takes a whole city block. Mm-hmm. I think it was Rheingold that was in there. Yes. It not only was the brewery, but also it was an ice house. Yeah. Because in order to keep beer fresh, it also needed to be kept extremely cold. Extremely cold. Mm-hmm. And that building is currently under renovation. Right. Just to... Rewind a bit. According to Lloyd Olten, our official Bronx Borough historian, yes. that building yes. where Kelly Furniture... Right? Yeah, right? it had a little piece on the bottom, yes. That, according to him, that was the spot where Jonas Bronx had his house. Really? Wow. In 1639. I thought it was further that's, uptown. No, Interesting. No, remember we said it. at the start that's, of the podcast, if yeah. you were listening, we said it was Willis <laughs> Avenue and 132nd Listen, Street. I'm a little older than you, so I'm allowed. Okay, I'm allowed to forget stuff on occasion. I'm just hurt because my mom's not listening to my podcast and she's in my podcast. So that's why it hurts, like, on a This is going to be an interesting relationship of us online. So, 
So go yes, on. please. Thank you. <laughs> so after this industrial and mercantile, uh, by the turn of the 20th century, you see the Bronx urbanizing, right? It becomes this urban fear uh, we know today. And that had a lot to do with transportation. What helped spark development in the Bronx, people moving out, was the old train, the train, the railroad line, the central line. Mm-hmm. This is the, the the line that Edgar Allan Poe took. This is the line that other people took to move to to experience the outskirts of the city. And then he, you would, had, he would go to that station. Yeah, because yeah. That's how Poe Cottage is it's just a couple of blocks just away. Just a blocks away. Just All a right, couple of blocks, today. right? Then you had the trolley lines at the end of the 19th century. But it wasn't until the subways. That's what really brought people into what we now call the Bronx. Before the subway lines were laid out. There were rumors, and these developers knew about where the Fortrain was going to be laid out, where the Grand Concourse, where these tunnels were going to be. And all of a sudden, you saw these small little structures called taxpayer buildings. Mm. And these taxpayer buildings, they're still standing today. If you see these little small buildings with Mm -hmm. like a store and then like an apartment on top, these are nicknamed taxpayers because they were built just to pay off the taxes, the land taxes. And all the other expenses. So visualize a two to three structure building where the first floor was commercial. Yes. It held the pizza shop, the cleaners, you know, small businesses. And then on top of that, you had a couple of apartments where, you know, residents basically yeah. uh, paid the other right. half of the rent so that all of this could Everything is covered. And yeah. then a lot of these developers built from these taxpayers. So all of a sudden, they're building a tenement building attached to mm-hmm. it and so on and so on mm-hmm. so by the time for example the six train came into the bronx that poem line mm-hmm. you had development you had blocks already you had tenements people were moving in and most of these taxpayer buildings ran contiguous yes. to the train line uh, so yeah. I, I listen i'm a little older than you are so imagine I had friends who lived on the second floor of one of these taxpayer buildings. And and when the trains were running by and we could look straight into the subway subway cars and the buildings would rattle. Yeah. It was... They still do. <laughs> they still rattle. Well, uh, that turn time, yes. on Simpson Street in Southern Boulevard, yes. where the train turns, yes. it's this close to the tenement building. Yes. This close. All and right? this... Talk a little bit about the 20th century was really marked by this changes to the landscape and this development. Yeah. And in some cases, like the case of the Cross Bronx Expressway, really poor voices, in my opinion, in development um, and in how they treated Robert people. Moses. Yeah. It was the type of... Robert Moses, very complex individual. Absolutely. Right? He was responsible for thousands of miles of road. Never possessed a driver's license. Mm. Comes what? from an affluent background. He had a chauffeur. He had didn't a chauffeur, have a driver's license right? and he built but the cross But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When he, wanted, he wanted to go places. When he came into power, this is the era of the progressive. This yeah. was the era of ushering the world, your city, into the new age. At the end of the New Deal, there was there was a lot of money coming from the federal government. Robert Moses was one of the least in the infrastructure business, in the development business, that actually had plans to go with that money. See, a lot of what the federal government was giving to cities, they were still 
trying to cultivate their plans, how they're going to reorganize their city. Robert Moses had everything in his brain. He had the idea of the uh, the Crows Bronx in his head back in the 1920s. He was the one behind the laying out of the Bronx River. The Bronx River was the very one of the very first park uh, parkways in the country, and it was to preserve the Bronx River. It was the very first time that efforts were taken to preserve the Bronx River. Building the Bronx River, you kept people living away from the Bronx. Robert Moses was a part of that. He also broke up communities. See, that, that was the never inadvertent effect. Yes, yeah. we're getting to the other side. Yeah. That's the exactly. inadvertent. But Robert Moses wasn't thinking about exactly. He was thinking about making New York City more accommodating to the rapid rising use of the automobile. He wanted to... Think here about the people. He cared yeah. about the cars. Well, we well, got well it. people that could afford cars. There's right? a great book about Robert Moses. <laughs> Are you talking about Robert the power Harris? Broker? The, the power, power broker. broker. Oh, yes. That is, that is old. Right. So if you want to know anything right. else about Robert Moses, and it is fascinating read, I would recommend that. A guy that saw himself as a progressive, people saw him as a progressive, and he was ready to implement and execute plans. However, by the mid-20th century, you had demographics changing. These changes Robert Moses were making were affecting newer people moving into New York City, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Also, going back to the Cross Bronx, there was a lot of displacement. People were kicked out of their apartments, right? Mm -hmm. People were forced to move to other parts of New York City. And because he held so many positions in city government, he was allowed to do multiple things. Yes. He did a lot of this while he was parks commissioner. So he was all for recreation. So when people gave him the opportunity to have the Cross Bronx run under Cortona Park instead of demolishing tenements, he's like, no. And he ensued in demolishing all these buildings. So Robert Moses wasn't a fan, you know, of, of people who were poor, who people who couldn't transport themselves from one place to another. He wanted to gut all shanty towns and all slums and whatnot. So Robert Moses was that force in New York City. Getting into the mid-20th century, you know, that's when New York City and New York City, because he was was also responsible for Jones Beach. Absolutely. I mean, some of our ills also became the ills of Absolutely. Listen, he was considered a genius. Rafael Trujillo, who was dictator of the Dominican Republic, invited Robert Moses to come and really? advise Trujillo <laughs> on his roadworking, you know, and how he can improve the infrastructure of his country. So after two hours talking to Robert Moses, he had ordered his aide to tell Robert Moses he needed to leave the country because he thought Robert Moses wanted his job. Hmm. So that's how dictator? That's how right. That's how, you know, that's how powerful Robert Moses his presence and was. And you know, you know, life really does come full circle because Trujillo was then killed on one of those roads. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> Okay. He literally planned the road that he was just to on. uh, you know yeah. But Robert Moses didn't come back. No, no. and, and Robert Moses he wasn't boat. a part of that either. No, yeah. Robert Moses didn't kill Trujillo. That's not we're not this is not starting a rumor. Theory. But this is why What I'm saying is important. When we talk about Robert Moses, we talk about the demographics of the Bronx changing and not changing from, okay, now we have Jews. Oh, welcome the finish. No, no. You had people that were totally detached to Mm -hmm. the traditional stock of the Bronx. You had Puerto Ricans coming from the island. 
you had African Americans migrating from Harlem, from the American South. They they too are coming to the Bronx. Why the Bronx? Because by the 1930s, the Bronx was already becoming this poor district in mm-hmm. New York City, mm-hmm. right? After the New Deal, you had banks redlining mm-hmm. a lot of the sections of the Bronx. Yes, redlining is a is a reduction in the real estate listings right. and property related financial services like right. mortgage loans, insurance policies. Mm-hmm. So basically, banks would not loan to people in the Bronx. Right. And if you look at these surveys, right, these people going out surveying these blocks and deeming them uninvestable, right, it was highly racist. Of course. Highly racist. You see, oh, this is where the, okay, uh, 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 this amount of Negro families are living here, right? So one of the ills of the New Deal is uh, this agreement with the banks, allowing the banks to deem a certain section of uh, New York City or some neighborhood as bad investment. Why? Because you saw a lot of African-Americans living in that community. It was, and the idea of poor people brought poverty, you know, Mm -hmm. this old idea, right? So by the time Puerto Ricans and African-Americans came to the Bronx, you already had poor districts along the Third Avenue line in the South Bronx. And they were basically forced to live in these neighborhoods. Right after World War II, sociology launched, you know, it, it, it took this trajectory. They started studying people of the South Bronx, like Puerto Ricans and African Americans, judging them by their behaviors and not getting into the real issues as to why they are continually continuously the cause of property poor, of poverty. Right? Exactly. So you had these social workers coming to the borough and a lot of this reports, these reports coming in All of a sudden, you started seeing the word South in front of the Bronx. So if you were living in the Bronx before World War II, you were living in Morrisania. You were living in Claremont. You were living in in Port Morris. You were living in Hunts Point. But after World War II, it became the South Bronx. And all of a sudden, it gradually became this euphorism for poverty. I think what we have to do is take back our own definitions and we have to redefine right. you know our our legacy and that's what we're doing here yeah, as well definitely. you know we have to tell the bronx story yes there is the south bronx um but we're defining it in 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 a way that talks about an area of promise of hope of of change of economic development of of a lot of new jobs. Right. We were in the um, 1970s, and now you're talking about again, like. But wait, but I'm talking about internet. About we're talking about, <laughs> but the 70s was also the time of the Young Lords when we were talking about taking back our streets. Yeah. So I'm taking back our name. <laughs> That's right. Get well, mom. How a city degrades. How it, you know, the the quality of life. How how it just goes through this transition. You know, we saw the quality of life of the Bronx. Just right after World War II, you know, we we saw people moving out. There was a tax base, the middle class. People didn't want to live in the Bronx. And thus, the businesses followed, right? Mm -hmm. Because when the city sold their fleeing tax base, 
you know, people display deindustrialization. You hold, you saw jobs leaving the borough and municipal oh. services then followed. Uh, we had a, a planned shrinkage, what it's called, of municipal, municipal services, including firefighting. Highly austere, right? You had firehouses being closed. You had the city hiring people from the Rand Institute to make this survey of the Bronx and how many firehouses should, should be closed. And they came up with their conclusion. To close a lot of the firehouses that were in the areas that were most ravaged by fire. This was their conclusion. So this is where you saw the dilapidation of yeah. the South. Bronx. And then after they closed all these firehouses, we hit 1970 and we have, you know, a wide wave right. of arson. In so the by Bronx. the mid-1970s, the Bronx, along with New York City, was embroiled in this economic downturn, this economic... Catastrophe. Catastrophe. The city pretty much abandoned the people of the South Bronx. All right? With plant shrinkage, with all these other effects, people were living in squalor. Living in squalor. Okay? You didn't have the the old-style groups, community groups coming out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to help out the people of the South Bronx. And when I say the people of the South Bronx, it's primarily Puerto Rican and African American. Yep. Right? All of a sudden... You saw people from the neighborhood, normal people, coming out and fighting for their own. And they took it upon themselves, right, to offer what they can for the community. And this is when I talk about... To offer an insistent demand. Insistent demand. And I get into Evelina, Dr. Evelina, United Bronx parents. Exactly. Uh, Antonia Pantoja, Aspira. Aspira. You know, you had these... these... The controversial Ramon Eseveles. Yes. All right. Who understood that the only way that we were going to get out of this mess was through political empowerment. Yeah. How do you create political empowerment? It's by making sure that we, there was enough of the Puerto Rican community that were confined within specific sets of blocks that could actually vote yes. elected officials in. Yes. And as a result, the Bronx became the political power base for the first Puerto Rican yeah. elected officials in the assembly. Yes. Later on in the Senate yes. and in the City Council, Absolutely. but and it then was the Bronx and then, and then Congress. Well, we gave Absolutely. we gave Congress their very first Puerto Rican member, but the oh, Herman 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 Herman. you know, he and was Herman the Herman very Herman. first. In fact, he was the very first Latino to be elected into a Bronx office, not just Puerto Rican, right? And he was elected in 1965 as borough president, and uh, and he soon he ran for Congress, and he became the very first. Puerto Rican representative, Puerto Rican born. So education is key. And just to throw it in, the Bronx has the most educational institutions in New York City. That's well. right. There so we're the more, smartest borough. We're, there are more educational, uni- well, there are more universities and colleges here in the borough of the Bronx yes. than in any other borough. Yeah. Circling back to the question of gentrification, right? I say, as a historian, I saw how the Bronx went down. And it went down for the reasons that are reversed today. Mm-hmm. Okay? People are moving back to the Bronx. You need people. You need people to live in an area so it can flourish, mm-hmm. so it can improve. When people are there, jobs are there, right? Mm-hmm. Things start happening. Economic development starts happening. 
in the 1960s, there was none of that. Mm -hmm. They left. So if you reverse that... they did not come back. If you reverse that a bit, you see the effects. You see the effects. However, people are scared. People that don't make a lot of money. People who see that they cannot move out their projects. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's when the fear comes in of displacement. That's when it happens. You know, let me just add to that. You mentioned that you, you went... You went from the projects right. to California. Um, back then, the projects was the place to live. A lot of people looked forward to moving to the projects yes. uh, because those buildings tended to be the newer ones. Yeah. Um, yes, there was a concentration of a lot of people, and as a result, all of the issues were much more concentrated. Um, but you left the projects, and you are where you are right now. I also am a product of the project system. Mm -hmm. uh, Lower East Side, uh, then moved to Puerto Rico. That was part of the uh, Puerto Rican dream. Yes, yes, you know, yes. you came from Puerto Rico. That was back. my parents. Yeah. You made some a little bit of money, and then you went back to Puerto Rico because that's where you wanted yeah. to spend the rest of your days. And here I was, 12 years old, and I'm like, what the heck yeah. am I doing here? Yeah. But I loved it because there was a sense of freedom on the island of Puerto Rico that I could never have no. in the city same of New York. And same thing with you. All right, but certainly the whole issue there is that these places are what you make it. Mm -hmm. And when I, I corrected Desiree about the 1.45, um, I really was not talking about the 2016 census, but rather what has, what has come back, what has come through since then. Because this is one of the few boroughs, it may be the only borough, that increased in the last census. Mm -hmm. right? So people have found reasons to move to the Bronx. It is, the price points are still better than any other yeah. place. Um, we have jobs. It's since 2009, we have created 117,000 additional, 117,000 additional residents, Bronx residents, are employed now than they were in 2009. Mm -hmm. That's good news. Yeah. Um, the other thing about economic development, and you said it, if you're not here and you don't spend your money locally, then you don't create economic exactly. development. And people don't understand that if you use your local bodega and you and and you buy... A gallon of milk. A gallon of milk, yeah. all right, that almost $4 goes around the community yes. six times. Yeah. Before it leaves your community. So that $4 more than likely, you know, helped to pay a little bit to the cashier. The cashier then used that dollar to go to Payless yes. and yeah. buy the shoes. And then the owner of the shoe store then used that dollar and to so pay on. that cashier right. until in the end. It, so if you don't have that influx of people that to continue to come into a borough, if you don't have people of all demographics... We already have all the people of all races, and that's good. Yeah. You know, it's obvious that we welcome everyone, and we will continue to welcome everyone. And some of them were here before we were here. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I talk about the fact that I live in an apartment on a concourse. Why was I able to finally move into an apartment <laughs> on the Grand Concourse from Kelly Street in the real South Bronx? It was because... The majority of the Jewish community yeah. that lived on the concourse and had these amazing apartments, Art Deco apartments, they left. moved yeah. to Co-op City. Co City. Yeah. So as a result, 
We gentrified. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. So yeah. uh, the issue here is a lot of people are misinterpreting what gentrification yep. is. They're just pegging it as like this right. poisonous and word. And there's a political yes. right. So I say the Bronx is back yes. because it it turned the tide. It turned the tide. People took their communities back in the 70s. President Carter. Yes. Decided to stop in the South Bronx. He could have stopped in Baltimore. He could have yep. stopped anywhere else. But he was in the city. And his platform was, you know, let's look inward. Let's let's yeah. address the human rights yes. and what's yes. going on in our country. So he stops in the South Bronx and the whole world was behind him. Yeah. Yep. And I'm talking about the media. The, the face of urban decay. Was the Bronx. Imagine him standing on a mound mm-hmm. of rubble, rubble and bricks. And he's up there. I, yeah. I, the picture is still very much in my mind. And you know, I and think he basically promised. He, and he, not basically, he promised we will rebuild. And it was then that the federal dollars yes. started coming yes. under Ed Koch, if I remember. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was a great marriage between... A mayor who cared and a president who was committed. And I think that, you know, that's why our podcast is so important, you know, because there, you know, that picture, right? That picture stays so fresh in your mind. And it's time for us to show the new picture, to show the new picture of the Bronx, um, that it's back, that it's an incredible space to live. That, I mean, I went to law school and I went and got my master's and I came back home to the Bronx. Because exactly. this is where I want to raise my family. Yeah. It's a great place and to live. And you could have gone anywhere. Yes. I could have gone anywhere. And same thing for me. I went to school in D.C. and I could have stayed in D.C. Yeah. But I was dying to come back yeah. to yeah. work with my Absolutely. member of Congress. Right. Because I understood that there were things to do. Yep. And so we're not perfect. The Bronx is still literally under construction but it will always be under construction because we will always have new needs and the question is or for me the challenge is to challenge every Bronx resident to work together to look the best part about the Bronx is and always has been the community yes it makes the fabric of it it does and I think that we experience community in a more active way than some of the other boroughs in a, more, in a more passionate way. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have, and, and you have provided me with even more reasons Absolutely. to be even more proud of my hometown. Closing statement. It's about pride, right? It's about loving your neighborhood, right? It's about being proud of it. It's, a, it's about being a part of it by taking on some type of community action, volunteering. But my main goal is to work with the next generations. This is why I work with schools. This is why, for example, we have this great project called MAPIT, and we're teaching students how to extract information from their own neighborhood because there's a history there, right? So when kids want to learn about the American Revolution, they don't have to learn about what happened in the battle in Concord in Massachusetts or what happened in other states. It happened here in the Bronx. They can learn about the battle at Pell's Point. And they can walk there. They can walk there. They can touch it. They can feel it. Mm -hmm. They can come here. It's all about the next generation. By mobilizing, you can change your own situation. 
And this is the very lesson learned in the grassroots movement. We're all activists, all right? We're all activists and we all want something good for ourselves. There is always a way out. So when I talk to these kids, um, we don't do enough, especially in this day of technology and phones. And that is that you're providing all of this history in verbal context. Yeah. And telling um, our story. We have to tell our story because if somebody else does it, it's not going to be the same. And, and that verbal right. history, that, that history of, of, of our neighborhoods, the history of family has to be conveyed from grandma to mom and to child. Exactly. And you're doing the same it's thing. It's generational. On, with respect to the Bronx. And then because they learned it here, they will then share it with their children. Absolutely. So thank you, Angel, for coming on and talking to us and for preserving the history of the Bronx. Well, thank thank you for having me. This was a delight. I love the the mom the and repartee. Daughter. I love it. I love it because the crossing we're, of swords. Listen, we're all from the Bronx, right? right? Yes, we are. And this is a typical interaction. Yes, it is. This is a family affair. Welcome, listeners, to Radio Free South Bronx. My name is Desiree Joy Frias, and I'm here with my neighbor and good friend, John D. Riggs. Good evening, listeners. We are both native Bronxites, and we're here to give you some of the news going on in our community. It's 2018, John. New year. New podcast. Fresh start. Fresh start. New president, hopefully. Hopefully. You know, if you just say things that you want enough, they happen. I've heard that. I'm just going to look in the mirror every morning and say new president. In the community, Wednesday's community board two meeting got pretty spicy. I know you weren't there, but I saw your dad there. Oh, he's usually around, yeah. How long has your dad been going to CB2 meetings? Oh, probably as far back as probably 1992, I want to say. He's been pretty active in the community. John's dad is the model citizen. He goes to every precinct council meeting. He goes mm-hmm. to the community board meetings. He's an engaged voter. He's just really awesome. And I think that's really cool. You weren't there and you missed this awesome interaction. What was the debate about? So there was only one item to vote on for the full board. And we still went over time. Naturally. And that was due to infighting amongst the board members regarding the issuance of an alcohol license. Oh, very contentious in this time. Yes. The Ecuadorian owner of Manta Seafood, Raul Nera, um, which is a restaurant located at 1288 Westchester Avenue, he came before the Franchising and Licensing Committee to request a beer, wine, and liquor license for a 70-seat restaurant. Now, he did that last month, or Mm -hmm. whenever the last meeting was, must have been in November. He said that his restaurant is doing well and simply wants to add some drinks to the menu while continuing the family dining atmosphere. The committee placed some stipulations, including requiring a licensed security guard, and brought the full appeal to the full board. Mm. And that's when it went downhill. So despite the owner and his lawyer pleading their case, the community felt that there are, quote, enough locations to purchase alcohol in this area, end quote, and that some of these establishments have known cases of crime and trouble stemming from their operation. This includes tequila and mezcal, which had a recent interaction with someone throwing a chair through the window of Manta Seafood, Mm. who was intoxicated from, presumably, the sale of alcohol at Tequila and Mezcal. 
Well, it's not unprecedented. I mean, I don't know if you remember from last year, but the giant Sifu City fiasco in City Island. I, that's had a lot of CBs uh, really spooked about giving out new licenses. I saw the video in City Island. That fight was very outrageous. outrageous. And I understand that alcohol does cause erratic behavior in human adults. But, predicted John, the motion narrowly failed. You can listen to the whole discussion by listening to the raw audio that we uploaded to our podcast page. But if you listen to the audio, you hear from many of the community board members. Mm -hmm. And Raul spoke for under two minutes. They raised great concerns like alcoholism, crime in the neighborhood, and implying that manta serving alcohol can only lead to more trouble in our area. But I felt it wasn't fair that the community board didn't really give Raul a chance to speak, so I called him on Friday at his restaurant, and he was in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so he was just at his restaurant, and I chatted with him in Spanish, so unfortunately I recorded the call, but... Um, it would be more cumbersome to translate. So our conversation, I asked him a few questions like how he felt about being denied the license. And he said he felt sad and defrauded. He's trying to succeed in his business and he feels like the community board is actively holding him back. He agrees that some of the neighboring businesses may be breaking the law with how much they're serving to people who are already intoxicated. But that's not his restaurant. You know, that's kind of... One of the arguments brought up by the leader of the franchise committee was the sins of the neighbor, you know, just because your next door restaurant is having issues and you have a spotless record with 42, then why shouldn't you be granted one? Indeed. In fact, I wouldn't actually say that there's no hope left to him. I mean, I remember uh, very close to here, El Porton, the uh, tequila bar, had to apply twice, I believe. I was at community board two for two uh one of those and it took a while but he was able to uh, eventually get his alcohol serving license and it passed with the state etc but it took a while because alcoholism is a problem and i believe also the they're really trying to work on keeping the image of the area from reverting back to its prior history they turned down the license for person wanting to reopen it was over there by Leggett and Garrison Avenue. Are you talking about Mr. Wedge? No, no, not Mr. Wedge. One of the, or maybe one of the former partners of Mr. Wedge had a, I think it was Platinum Pleasures or something yes, like that. Platinum Pleasures. That's yeah. right. Sorry, I get my strip club names mixed up. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're going to talk about that in a second because I have an interesting story about Mr. Wedge. Ooh, so, do tell. oh, God, yeah, no, it's not, it's not Radio Free South Bronx After Dark, <laughs> but it's a politically cool story that I have to tell. So I also asked Raul how it affects his business, and mm. it really does. He actually serves traditional Ecuadorian foods, including seafood, and in his country, they serve these foods with beer. The patrons are always asking him, like, hey, can I get a beer? And he has to tell them every time that he can't serve it. He has 20 years of experience in the restaurant business. He has money invested in our community. You know, regardless of how you feel about the issue, they didn't give him a chance to speak. That's how he feels. Hmm. A quote that really hit me that he said on the call was he said, quote, I felt humiliated like a man. I wanted to cry. Hmm. I wanted to talk back. But life has shown me that nothing comes through arguing. So I left it in the hands of God. End quote. 
bureaucracy crushes another man. <laughs> yeah, and that's very hurtful. And, you know, and I asked him if he lives nearby. And he actually lives in our area. He lives two minutes away on West Farms. His children go to school nearby. And he doesn't want a bad community either. He lives here. Says that people, he felt as if people were attacking. Mm. He felt like he was being attacked without people knowing all these things about him. They didn't hear the bit about Ecuadorian food at the community board meeting. They didn't hear that he lives in the area. None of these things were brought up. And I think if he was really given a chance to speak for himself, um, that maybe they would have changed their minds. Hmm. So talking about Mr. Wedge, Ooh. and this is just a contrast, just a contrast, <laughs> just a contrast two points. So they denied Mr. Nera of Manta Seafood his liquor license. But two months ago, the same community board granted a liquor license to Mr. Wedge in Hunts Point, a strip club that has been there for 15 years, a block and a half away from PS48. Mm. And also a charter school, if I'm not mistaken now, too. Yeah, there's also a charter school near there in Hunts Point. So on the one hand, they're talking about community image at the, at the community board. They're talking about access to alcohol. They're talking about the way people who come into our neighborhood treat our neighborhood. But then on the other hand, they kind of seem like they're picking and choosing who gets a liquor license and who doesn't, and not on equal grounds. Yeah, sometimes, or I don't know the whole situation here, but it's not what you do, but who you know, sometimes. Yeah, and, and we don't know why Mr. Wedge got a pass when when Mr. Nara didn't, and... I'm just going off of what was presented to the full board as I was at the mm. full meeting. But it is an issue for me. Not that I am... I don't really see you having a, a stake in the game here, except for just seeing that the guy that has a culturally enriching business in the, our area is not given par with other competition nearby. Yeah, not that I'm shaming any kind of workers at an entertainment club like Mr. Wedge. That's not my point. But in terms of community image... I would think that a small local food restaurant would be more favorable to an image than a really large entertainment club near a school. Mm. But that's just me. And, you know, I know that nativism and who has say in community, you know, varies from person to person. And I've only been living in community board two for it's going to be a year in June. So... I don't want to say what they're saying is wrong or they're making a bad decision, but I just found it interesting that they made what seems to me to be two contrasting decisions. Well, to be maybe play Mr. Brightside for a minute, you know, it's not as if he has no other options. That restaurant, I mean, there are options, but again, the idea would be to have an on-site uh, offering to better boost his profits for his business. Yeah, and I mean, he has an appeal process also with our CB, and maybe if he comes back. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that voice is very important. Hmm. And community board isn't just an opportunity to hear from community board members. I think that if someone comes before, before the board looking for a license, then we should really give them a chance to speak. Indeed. Especially when... Completely. Where I just think that... Maybe perhaps this is the board not wanting to appear as a rubber stamp as well to approve just anyone. I mean, granted, a case by case should be the order of the day, but not every Tom, Dick, and Harry can have a liquor license or should be able to obtain one so readily. 
Especially oh, given given our uh, situation. No, and I think that enforcement um, should really be oh, a yes. big priority in uh, in our community. Because I agree, we do have establishments that are serving people that are over serving that are over serving people it, it is causing problems in our community so if they were so worried they could additionally put on additional stipulations for the license you can't serve after a certain hour in addition to the security mandate you can have certain devices in play there are other stipulations that they could have added if those concerns were the only things in play I agree that you don't want our community to be a rubber stamp and we want people to have input. But I just want to make sure that people are having all of the input needed to make mm. such a big decision. Because look, you the know, full picture. it is a liquor license and it's just a liquor license. But it's also this man's job. Livelihood. It's his livelihood. And he puts the food on the table for his family that he's going to need to recalculate now. Oh, well, we won't have our liquor license for a few more months. How are we going to make the margins this month then? Mm. Indeed. Well, so that's the Community Board 2 story of the week, uh, I'm sure. Never a dull moment in CB2. Never a dull moment at a CB2 meeting. Thank you for joining me, John. Anytime. So finally, um, on to our news bulletin. So your news for this week is Trump hasn't destroyed Obamacare yet. Get healthcare just to spite him. January 31st is the last day for you to enroll in a healthcare plan for New York State. Visit the website, your local clinic, hospital, government benefits office. Literally, there's libraries have information. So we've listed a few of those options in the show notes. And while we're talking about healthcare, please get your flu shot. The Hunts Point Library will be starting English conversation classes on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12, starting January 27th. The address and phone number for more information is in the show notes. Also at the Hunts Point Library, they're going to have video visitation on Tuesdays and Thursdays by appointment. This is free library-based video visitation for families separated by incarceration. And finally, on to our loaf of bread. Your business this week that did not sponsor us, but we love them so much, we're going to give them a shout out. La Pastora Bakery, under the Jackson 5 train, has been in business for 40 years. The owner, his grandfather opened it. And it's just, it's just so good. They make all of their bread fresh there every morning. So I just have to step in and say, I love their guava paste pastries. They're the best thing in the morning with a hot cup of joe. Their coffee is out of this world. So I'll put the link show notes. Please pay a visit. And while you're there, pick me up a loaf of pansovao and a bread pudding and drop it off by my house. Shaking your head and frowning. You're no, no, so no. disappointed. No, 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 no. I, I like it. Just don't have random people come to my house. With bread. With bread.